series on the Apostles' Creed, something which we've been chipping away at ever since last fall. And today we come to this phrase, the forgiveness of sins. And as our scripture lesson today, I want to read for you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And in my Bible, it's entitled, Spiritual Blessings in Christ. Hear these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Let's pray together. Lord and God, we come before you today very much aware of our sins and shortcomings. That even as we celebrate the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday, we also celebrate his entrance into our world, into our church, into our lives, into our families. And as we do, we are reminded of the events that would transpire this holy week, namely the crucifixion and death of Jesus. And so, Lord, we look ahead now to the death of Jesus. And we invite you to come and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. The forgiveness of sins. What does it mean? Have you ever felt like you were unforgivable? Shalom. My name is David. I am the youngest son of my father, Jesse. You may have read about me in the Hebrew Scriptures. You call it the Old Testament. Yes, I was the one who grew up a shepherd boy. My father is a sheep farmer. I was the one who knocked out Goliath with a single stone and a sling for he had come out to yell profanities at the armies of the living God and to try to defy them. But I, a mere shepherd boy at that time, I said to my brothers, well, what will be done for the one who eliminates this threat? And they told me. My brothers, they didn't think I could do anything. I'm the youngest. Do you know what it's like to be the youngest? You get no respect. (laughs) 
long after, not too long after that, I got promoted. I was promoted to king of Judah and later to king of Israel. It was great. God was favorable toward me and toward all that we had done and it seemed like we just couldn't lose. We kept defeating enemy after enemy, running out and clearing the land. We even brought the ark of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, back into Jerusalem. Why, it was a great day with singing and praise and and dancing, although not everybody appreciated my dancing. It was a great day of celebration. God's favor was upon us, was upon me. And then it happened. Things changed very quickly. It was in the spring of the year when kings went out to fight their battles with their armies, but I guess I was feeling too self-assured, maybe a little arrogant, and I decided I would stay home. Why do I need to get my hands dirty? I'll let my armies fight their battles, and, and I'll stay at home. I had time on my hands, and if you know, idle time is not always a good thing. I was strolling around on the roof of my palace on the terrace, and I was looking around, and there I saw her. She was a beautiful babe. Bathsheba was her name. She was a neighbor girl, and I saw her, and like a king, I sent for her. I used my kingly authority and power to try to bring her to me, and my servants did. Well, one thing led to another, and you know the story. She became pregnant. I couldn't believe what I had done. To make matters worse, she was married to Uriah the Hittite. He was a strong fighting force in our armies, and so I thought maybe I could get Uriah to come home to take a leave from fighting and and to be with his wife, and maybe this would sort of cover up my sin. But Uriah, he was so dedicated why he didn't didn't pause. He He couldn't even enjoy some time away from the battle. And so I did the unthinkable. I told my commander to put Uriah, the Hittite, on the front lines. And you know what happens to people on the front lines. Sure enough, he was killed. I was a murderer. I thought maybe I could get away with my sin. I thought maybe nobody would find out until the prophet Nathan, my friend, came to me and confronted me, and he said, David, what you did was wrong. You have sinned against God and against people. I was cut to the heart. I knew that he was right. I cried out to the Lord, and in my prayer of confession, which I penned in the words of Psalm 51, and and I wrote... Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your mercy, blot out my transgressions, for my sin is always before me. I was conceived in sin. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me, Lord, but restore a right and renewed spirit within me is what I cried out to God. 
And I wonder, could God ever forgive me, a king who had committed adultery and put a man up to die? Could I ever be forgiven? Greetings. I am Peter. Yes, you have probably read about me in the Gospels. I'm the one that they call impetuous Peter. I guess sometimes my emotions just get the best of me. Why, I was even the one that stepped out of the boat and dared to walk on water. And I did. Now, I know that I sank, but I took a couple of steps. Give me some credit. I was a follower of Jesus. Jesus began to say funny things, like, like he must die. I couldn't understand it, nor could the rest of the disciples. And I said, Lord, not you. you. No, Lord, never will this happen to you. And he said, get behind me, Satan. I was pierced to the heart. I couldn't believe he used such language with me. And he went on to explain things more. And, and then he even said, Peter... You're going to betray me. You're going to deny that you ever knew me. And I said, Lord, surely not I. I would never leave you, Lord. I will never forsake you. I will never deny you. I was adamant. I love Jesus. And then came that fateful night. Jesus took some of us out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. I wish we could have done a better job. It just seemed like all we did was fall asleep, and Jesus had to come and say, come on, guys, you know, keep praying. And he'd go off, and I could tell he was in agony. It just seemed like he was really pouring his heart out to God, and he was disturbed, and I wasn't quite sure all of what was going on, but then things got really crazy, and there were sounds and voices and yelling through the trees in the garden. And, and before you knew it, we saw lanterns and torches. And, and it was the Romans who had come to arrest Jesus. And, and one of our own, Judas, Judas Iscariot, he had betrayed him. He had kissed him and gave Jesus up to the Romans to take him away. And we couldn't believe what was happening. And I pulled out my sword and I, I swung it at one of the guards and I cut off his ear. His name was Malchus. And, and Jesus, he said, no, Peter, put away the sword. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. But, and Jesus healed his ear and, and everybody fled. I mean, it was nuts. And I mean, you might have done the same thing. I mean, really, I mean, it was terrible. I mean, there was sounds and yelling and they took Jesus away and the rest of us just fled into the darkness. And I kind of followed behind at a distance. I made my way back into town and there I could see what they were beginning to do to Jesus, this kind of kangaroo court that they put him through. I mean, he hadn't done anything wrong. I was around a fire warming up when a servant girl looked at me and said, weren't you one of those with Jesus? And I said, no, no, not me, I said. 
And another girl piped up and she then said, Surely you were one of the twelve, one of those disciples of Jesus. You knew him. And I said, No, no, I didn't. I didn't know him. And then other people chimed in and they said, You knew. You knew him. And I said, I didn't know him. God darn it. And I couldn't believe it. Because right at that moment, the rooster crowed. And I remembered the words of Jesus. And I was cut to the heart. Because I had denied my Savior and my Lord. I couldn't believe what I had just done, what I had just said. I had even swore it on an oath in the strictest and the harshest of terms. I had denied the living Lord Jesus. I guess I was afraid and fearful that I would be next, that that we would be next. I went off from the crowds alone and I prayed. I bawled like a baby. And I thought, could God ever forgive me for what I have done? I betrayed Jesus. I denied him. Good morning. I'm John Doe. I'm like any one of you, and I am a sinner. I struggle. I'm human. And I wrestle with doing the right thing. There are times where I say things that I know that I should not say. I do things that are not holy and pleasing to God. And I think thoughts that are not always pure and holy. And I wonder if I could ever change. And sometimes it seems like the same old behaviors and the same patterns and bad habits that I just keep going back to. It's almost as if I don't care anymore. And I wonder what will become of me. Could God ever forgive me? You know, sometimes I feel like I'm just one sin away from God just leaving me, just deserting me and saying, that's it, I've had it with you, John Doe. You see, God only, He doesn't only look at what we do, but He looks at how we do it and why we do it. Even the good things that I do are not always done with pure motives. Oh God, can you forgive me? Please, help me. I am Barabbas. Yes. The one whom Matthew refers to as a notorious criminal. 
Me. It's true. I led an insurrection. I even murdered a man. I guess when you murder somebody, people tend to notice. Now, you can relax. I've since reformed my ways. You're not in danger here today. But yes, I was the one who was in prison at the time that this Jesus guy was put on trial and crucified. I'll never forget the day when, out of the blue, the Roman guards came to take me out of my prison cell and they brought me before the crowds. There was a large crowd gathered outside the temple courts and it was people putting Jesus on trial. I couldn't believe it. And this Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, you could tell that he, he kind of wanted to let Jesus off the hook, but, but it seemed that the crowd, the Jewish people especially, were intent on eliminating Jesus. Why, as far as I could tell, he had done really nothing wrong. He seemed like an innocent man to me. And then things started getting really weird. For Pilate remembered that there was a custom at the feast of the Passover that, that they could release, they would pardon one prisoner, one criminal could be set free. And Pilate had sent for me. That's why the guards came and got me. They put me up before the crowd next to Jesus. And I think Pilate really thought that the crowd would surely let Jesus go. He was so innocent, so humble. It didn't appear that he had done anything wrong, but they all knew that I was a notorious criminal. Surely they would keep me in prison. But then things got even more crazy. Pilate asked the crowd, whom shall he release? And they started yelling my name. Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas, they cried out over and over again. Give us Barabbas, set me free. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And then Pilate turned to them and he said, well then what should I do with this Jesus of Nazareth? And, and they yelled out, crucify him. And they yelled it over and over again and louder and louder, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And sure enough, reluctantly, Pilate, he let me go free. And they took Jesus off to crucify him. I hung back for a while because I wasn't quite sure how the crowds would respond to me, but I watched from a distance as they, as they whipped and scourged him and, and they forced him to carry his cross down the road of Golgotha. And they nailed him to that cross. And they hung him out to die. And I realized that should have been me. They accused Jesus of leading an insurrection among the Jewish people. I was the one who led an insurrection. They accused Jesus of being a criminal. I was the one who was a criminal. 
I was the one who had sinned. I was the one who did wrong over and over again. It should have been me on that cross. And yet, Jesus died in my place that I would go free. I think that's what they call forgiveness. There are three things that we need to know about the forgiveness of sins. The first one is this. God feels your sin. God feels your sin. When I was a little boy in Sunday school growing up at Calvary Reformed Church in Holland, Michigan, I remember being taught that this God of ours is, is the big word was immutable. That, that God was unchanging, that God was aloof, that God was out there, that, that God was almost like a robot and he had no feelings. He was strict and stern and he laid down the law. And then I came across Genesis Chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, just before the flood. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. It's what John Calvin, the father of Reformed theology, termed total depravity. The Lord was grieved that he had made man, people on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Every time you and I, we enter into sin, it is as, it is as if we are putting Jesus on that cross all over again. It's almost as if we're saying, I don't care. But friends, every time we disobey God, every time we do our own thing, every time we make bad, unholy choices, it hurts God. He feels your sin. When you ignore Him, when you neglect His people, when you choose to worship idols or deny His Son, Jesus. And the most graphic depiction of God's pain is Jesus on the cross. Tony Campolo, pastor and sociologist, described it best this way. He said, imagine that every sin that you have ever committed and all of the sins of the entire world of all people who have ever lived and will ever live is like little iron filings, little slivers of, of steel and, and iron. And, and Jesus on the cross hung there like a giant magnet to suck it all into himself and to take your sin away. Do you think that hurt? Uh-huh. 
Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I believe when Jesus died on the cross, he was thinking of you and me. May we remember him before we enter into willful sin. God feels your sin, even today, and it hurts. Number two. The second thing you need to know is that God forgives you through the Savior. God forgives you through the Savior. I don't care how good you think you are or how much better you believe yourself to be in comparison to others. The fact is, we are all sinners. We have all fallen short. The Bible is very clear on this. Even King David wrote, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. There is no one righteous, wrote Paul, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have become together worthless. No one who does good, not even one. God is holy. And he cannot accept any sin. You get 55% on the test, you fail. You get 99% on the test, you fail. Because God doesn't lower his absolute perfect standard of holiness and perfection. He doesn't grade on a curve. It's not, I'm better than so-and-so. It's, do you measure up to God's perfect standard? And the fact of the matter is, none of us do. Now enter Jesus. Holy, perfect, kept God's law every letter of it. In Him, says the author of Ephesians, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Say it with me. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It's by grace that we're saved. 2 Corinthians 5, this is all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Say it with me, not counting men's sins against them. Colossians 1 says, For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is what the cross is all about. Jesus Himself, the perfect Lamb of God, the sacrifice, that which was acceptable and pleasing to God, taking upon himself all of our sin, sucking it into himself, absorbing it all, and killing it at the cross. Maybe there's a sin in your life. 
that you're wrestling with right now. Maybe it's a bad habit or a thought pattern. Maybe it's something that you just can't seem to break. It's something that you keep going back to and you're wondering, can God ever forgive me? I would invite you to confess that sin to God today before the sun goes down. 1 John 1.9 simply says it this way, that if we confess our sins to God, He is holy, He is faithful and just and will forgive us from all of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Imagine I don't know about you, but I like to name my sin. I know that we love to pray these prayers of generalization. Oh, God, please forgive me. You know, oh, God, I confess my sin to you. Please forgive me. Amen. I have found that it works best if I actually name my sin, if I confess it, if I get specific and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I did this and that, and this is why it was wrong. And if I can articulate that, it helps solidify in my mind, yes, I don't want to do that again. Lord, I confess this, these specific sins before you. Would you please forgive me? Because when we do, something beautiful happens. The forgiveness of God, it flows into us. And so that, yes, there's forgiveness for a King David who commits adultery and has a man murdered, and, and for a Peter who denies Jesus Christ three times and, and then is in, reinstated into ministry by Jesus after his resurrection along the seashore and be, goes on to become one of the greatest leaders that the church has ever seen. And for John Doe, for, for you and me and all of us ordinary folk too, there's forgiveness of sins. And even for Barabbas whose story illustrates so beautifully what forgiveness of sins is all about as his sins were placed on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness was placed back on those who believe. For there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm here to tell you this morning, friends, that God hits the delete key on all of your sin, and it's gone. God feels your sin. God forgives you through a Savior when you believe in Him. And thirdly, God frees you from guilt and shame. Anybody ever have any issues with your memory? You ever forget something once in a while, you know? The other day I'm in Hy-Vee and I'm checking out my groceries and I put my card in and uh, I couldn't remember my PIN number. All of a sudden I just went blank. I tried a couple of different... Finally, I got it, thankfully. Didn't have enough cash with me. So. You forget where you put the car keys... You forget where the remote, where did I do with the remote to the television? Maybe you forget your spouse's anniversary or birthday. You're in the doghouse for a while, you know? Do you know that you're not alone in your memory issues? Do you know what? God has a memory issue. Do you know that? 
Say, what, Pastor? What are you talking about? Huh? God is perfect. God can't have a memory issue. I'm here to tell you God has a memory issue. God forgets one thing. Your sin. He forgets your sin. In Psalm 103, the psalmist says, As far as the east, east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you. Friends, I've flown around the world, Cambodia to the Philippines. That's a long ways away. It's sort of the fattest part of the earth. You know, far away. That's the east and west. That's a long ways. It's a long flight. In Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, who is a God like you, says Micah, who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and, get this, and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I love that phrase. You ever hear of the sea of forgetfulness? You ever hear that? Sometimes we say God takes our sin and he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. Now, the sea of forgetfulness, it's not actually a term used or something in, used in the Bible, but the concept comes from this passage right here, from Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, where God takes all of our sin and he casts it into the sea to remember it no more. You know what our problem is? We like to go fishing. Yeah. We cast our lure, our bait back into that sea of forgetfulness and we kind of kind of bring that sin back in. Kind of bring that sin back in and we keep rehearsing it over and over and we're just overcome with guilt and shame. After we've confessed it, we're still walking around and wallowing around in guilt and shame. Joyce Meyer calls that stinking thinking. Just cut it out. But we all do this feel guilty and shameful and even after we've confessed it we like to go fishing but friends there's no need because not only has god forgiven you but he has freed you when you confess your sins it's time to move on sometimes i think we're harder on ourselves than god is and so maybe today there's something that needs to be confessed in your life. Maybe there's a sin, something you're doing. You know it's not quite right. It's just not holy and pleasing to God. Today, as we begin Holy Week, there's one week of Lent left, one week of Holy Week here before Easter Sunday. This is a time to get right with God. We're going to talk much more about this on Monday, Thursday. I hope that each and every one of you will come Thursday evening for a joint service, a kind of a traditional service of, of some hymns and, and a meditation on the death and the meaning of Jesus and the love of God that sent him to the cross. Don't miss 7 o'clock Thursday. Have you ever been in the doghouse with somebody? You know, your spouse or a significant other, a friend, a family member, maybe, uh, you did something that was wrong and you knew it was wrong and you offended them and they were upset with you. 
man, they had it in for you, and maybe they didn't even talk to you for a while. Give him the silent treatment. I'll show them, you know. And uh, we all, sometimes we do this, you know. And, and uh, somebody grieves us or offends us, why we, uh, we let them know, you hurt me, you offended me, that was not right. And it maybe wasn't right. And maybe you're stuck there thinking, oh my goodness, there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can say, you try to say something, you make it worse. And you're kind of on the hook in the doghouse, if you will. And then one day, amazingly, something happens within that person. Maybe your prayers were answered or something happened, and they just decided to forgive you. And suddenly their interactions with you were normal again. And, and you're like, oh, all the tension was, was just taken away. It was re- released. It was gone. It's like, oh, this feels good. We have a right relationship again. Right? You know what I'm talking about. It's like, huh. Thank you for your forgiveness. There's nothing I could do. Friends, God is letting you off the hook. He's not saying go get reckless with sin. He's he's saying to you what he said to the woman who was caught in adultery, go and sin no more. But you don't have to live in sin and guilt and shame anymore because I'm letting you off the hook. It's up to God, and He forgives. We're at His mercy. Father, we come before You today just to say thank You 